and welcome to episode 66 of Connectivity. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, we've got two segments for you today. Uh, the first main segment is all about our game of the year choices. Uh, that's with myself, Neil, and Nicholas Bray. And after the outro, we have a special bonus segment all about the Doctor Who Christmas special. Uh, that's with me, Amanda Albert, and David Egoff. Enjoy. Welcome to Connectivity's End of the Year stuff. We'll probably do another one of these because a lot of our regular crew bailed. But let's focus <laughs> on who made it this week. Uh, I'm your host, Neil Ronahan, and with me as pretty much always, Scott Thompson. Hello! And we've got a visitor from the land down under, Nick Bray. Hello. And uh, I guess this is also fortuitous because Nick just put out NWR Powered Off issue number one, which is really cool. Um, Nick, do you want to talk about that for a little bit before we get into Game of the Year stuff? Um, sure. I, there's not much more to say than what's on the site, most likely. But uh, uh, what do you guys think of it, the finished product? I think it's really cool. If I had a tablet, I think it would hold a lot more value to me, but I just love the way it looks. Yeah, the design took a little while. Like, It took a while to get all of the text in and stuff. It was sort of uh, longer than I yeah. imagined it was going to, actually. There, there's been a lot of... Uh... A lot of those kind of layout things in my life recently, um, I guess as we're talking about those such things, I'm a part of that Nintendo Force thing that you might have heard about. And it was kind of funny because both things kind of were, were developing at the same time, and I couldn't really tell the other, like, the other group about the other <laughs> thing. And I was just like, but this is funny because there's two like print things going on with me at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when they announced it, I was like, ah, oh, Neil, he would have known back in August or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> No, because that, that's part of the reason why I took a little more of a hands-off approach with it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because it was like I was literally doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm not. I'm not even. I mean, as far as for anyone who's curious, my role on Nintendo Force is more that I'm I'm contributing writing to it than anything else. Um, it's all that's pretty much Lucas Thomas's uh, baby, and I'm just helping it along. You're one of the guns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did get to write about Goof Troop for it. Um, there you go. Because, uh, like, the, the Nintendo Power staple of, like, the, the retro game that they discussed. So I got to talk about Goop Troop and how it's, like, Shinji Mikami's precursor to Resident Evil and all that jazz. And then I get to talk about Who Framed Roger Rabbit on the Game Boy on the sidebar. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. 
But anyway, uh, we're here to talk about games of 2012 and pretty much the year as a whole. So what we're going to do first is we're each going to go around. We'll start with our guest and then go to Scott and then go to me. And we'll go through our top five one by one. And then after that, we'll discuss some Nintendo games. It's kind of a, a break from this Nintendo nonsense. And then we'll go through the games that we didn't talk chronologically throughout the year as kind of in a modified that Nintendo year for 2012. So let's start off, Nick. What's your number five game? Uh, well, okay, I haven't got that many uh, games that from this year that I've actually played. So my number <laughs> five is going to have to be uh, Out of Balance Touch for the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, balancing platforms and stuff on rocks is uh, decidedly fun. Yeah, it, I mean, I think it's a it's a really cool little game. Um, I, I played the demo of the WiiWare version. I was always kind of interested in it, and I ended up picking this up mostly for the plane ride home from E3. Um, but I, I really enjoyed what I played of it, although I know there's a considerable amount of that game that I haven't played because there's a lot of it in that game. Yes, it's pretty lengthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's not much really to say, but... Uh... Yeah, you balance stuff. It's pretty cool. <laughs> the three days is pretty nice, I guess. Yeah, Scott, have you have you ever played this game in any of its forms? No, I haven't. You maybe you should. I think there might be actually a demo on the 3DS eShop. Yeah, that's how I that's how I played it um, over here. I don't know if there's a demo on the American eShop though. Yeah, I think it might be. Or I think it might have came to Europe first, and it might have come to America later. I don't know because I'd already I'd already bought the game by the time the demo would have been out. But cool. So, Scott, what's your number five game? My number five game has to be Lego Batman 2. Really? This game is awesome. It's so good. What system are you playing it on? Uh, I originally played it on PS3. Uh, but it is a Wii game, so it counts. Yeah, it is a Wii game. I'm I'm fairly certain the Wii game is, is pretty much the, the PS3 game. Uh, but without HD. Without it, yeah. F, yeah Maybe some that. Wackle. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, so what what makes this game so much better than all the other Lego games? Because this is a game that, like, I, I really, I was looking forward to Lego Batman, the first one, and I thought it was kind of disappointing. Like, it, it just, what kind of killed me about that game is that most of, like, the Lego Star Wars and Lego Indiana Jones succeeded because you had those moments from those movies that were very distinct that then they replayed in Lego form, and, you know, it's cute and it's fun, and it's nice replaying those moments from a kind of lighthearted perspective. Mm -hmm. But Lego Batman, it was just this hodgepodge of just, like, Batman as a whole, and it wasn't engaging at all, and it sure. just felt boring. Sure. Well, you you especially, Neil, would, would love this, because it's like an homage to just the DC universe. Um, awesome. it pulls It pulls in, like, the entire Justice League, really. Yeah. Yeah, because I know Superman and Green Lantern and everything, that's kind of the, that's kind of the hook of it. Right, and I mean, even it goes even deeper. I mean, like cyborgs in it. Um, well, yeah. that's because he's in the new Justice League, so sure. kind of horror mad everywhere. Exactly, yeah, and even some like other, some other kind of like maybe more minor characters, I guess you could yeah. say, are, are less known than just Batman and Superman. Um, and it's in, an entirely original story. Um, that sees like they're actually making that into a movie in June. I'm pretty sure it's just that story. That's awesome because it, it's really good and. What really sets this game apart from, like, the other LEGO games is they've always had, like, a, a little bit of a sense of humor, but this is the first one that's entirely voice acted, and the voice cast just, like, kills it, and it, it's just a really funny game. I mean, it pokes fun at just a lot of, like, DC lore and just sort of some of the, like, 
I don't know, I guess things you have to overlook when it comes to superheroes, you know, yeah. that between each level there's always a news report and the news anchor kind of like <laughs> slightly like pokes holes in like the events that are going on and like, you know, we'll joke that, you know, like, why don't you ever see like Bruce Wayne and Batman together or like, oh, how convenient that Batman was at that Bruce Wayne fundraiser to stop the Joker and just like stuff like that and, and Batman and, and Superman have great banter because Batman is super jealous of uh, of Superman and like hates that he has all these abilities and like is unstoppable. Meanwhile, Robin is like in love with Superman and like swoons <laughs> over him. Which Robin is it? Is it Dick Grayson or Tim Drake or does <sighs> this even make sense to you at all? No, I, I I mean I'm somewhat familiar with the different Robins. I think it's I think it's Dick Grayson, but I'm not 100 okay. percent positive, so I, I could totally be wrong. It could just be Gennaro Robin. Yeah, well, they do have, they do have, like, parts where they're not in their costume, so I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's Dick Grayson, but, yeah. again, not, not 100% positive. But yeah, it was just a fun game, I was really surprised, I played a handful of Lego games, um, but this one was really great, we, I played a co-op with, uh, with my girlfriend the entire way through, and just a lot of fun, and between levels, there's the whole open world Gotham City where you can explore and find things, and, and just do do a variety of things, and um, yeah, I, I'm very pleasantly surprised. Very good. And Neil, as a DC fan, you really should track yeah. this down. It's got to be cheap now. It, so. Especially since, like, I mean, you, you talked real positive about it around when it came out, but the fact that it made your top five for the year, that makes me really, really consider looking into checking this out at some point. I think uh, with PlayStation Plus, there's like an hour game trial that I might have downloaded. I might check that out and oh, yeah. see if I can find it cheap. You should. But yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the movie when it comes out, because... I like I like DC animated movies for the most part, unless they're cheap pieces of crap like Superman Brainiac, Brainiac Attacks. Because, <laughs> you know, everyone knows about that, right? That's <laughs> true, <laughs> sure. sure. The, uh, the, yeah, right. The, the story's pretty good, too. I mean, I think I talked about it before, and you said it was sort of lifted from a different uh, comic at some point, but Batman has his uh, supply of kryptonite stolen from him by the Joker and Lex Luthor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's based on something. Right. So him, he helps Superman to defeat them, and yeah, so good stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, so my, uh, my number five is Little Inferno, which is a Wii U eShop game that came out the day the system launched, and I just find that game to be completely fantastic. Is that, what, like, is that what Lauren was playing? Yeah. Um, Lauren's actually... She's playing Little Inferno right now. Um, and, I mean, it's it's not a long game. It's only, like, three hours long, but it's really one of my favorite experiences in a long time because it's it's this very deceptively simple game and that, like, you're just burning things. But then there's this puzzle element because you need to burn the different combos of things... Um, and you'll just be given, like, a name, like, it'll be, like, someone else's combo. And then you need to look to see, like, okay, I have something that's someone else's family portrait and someone else's credit card, so if I burn those together, then I get the combo. Mm-hmm. And that gets increasingly difficult, because at first you just have one page of a catalog, and then you get more pages, and that opens up the possibilities for combos, and I think there's something like a 100 in total. Um, and then you, you basically have that puzzle element drives the game, but along the way there's this really weird story that develops and kind of comes to a head at the end in a, a really fantastic, like, half-an-hour finale that, I mean, it just says a lot about, like, life, the universe, and everything as <laughs> it pertains to video games. And it's it's just a really, really cool game, and it it is definitely very, very reminiscent of World of Goo. And I think if you like that game, at least... Maybe not necessarily the gameplay, but the sensibilities of that game, and that story also took some weird turns, too. Um, then you should definitely check out Little Inferno. And it's, I mean, it beat out a lot of 
quality games to get into this number five spot, and it really wasn't even that much of a competition because I just love this game that much. Yeah, it was very good. And I agree, if you like World of Goo's like, aesthetic, then I think this game's for you. World of yeah. Goo's is much more a game, I think. I mean, it, it you know, it's a puzzle game. It, it, there's a lot more you have to put into it, but... I like this game way more than World of Goo. I mean, I enjoyed World of Goo, but there was... It just... It did kind of, like, get more interesting once you once you hit, like, the kind of twist in World of Goo. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while to get to there because it's just, like, I played a lot of it and I was just kind of like, this is just the same stuff, but it gets more confusing. And I actually didn't really think the pointer controls were as precise as some people claim them to be. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was still a great game, but it didn't really grab me as much as Little Inferno did. Because this was a game where, you know, among the Wii U launch basically just dominated my playtime for like two nights and I ended up, you know, stayed up incredibly late two nights in a row to finish it off. Right. Well, they have like two different, like, I don't know, philosophies almost like world of goo could become very difficult. Like you're, you know, like you're saying in very hard to progress. Whereas yeah. little infertile, there's always that, that push to keep going because it, it is so easy to just get sucked in. And, and before you know it, you played an hour and a half, you know, there's always yeah. that, well, if I just do one more, burn one more thing, then I get the next page, or I'll get the next, you know, thing I can burn, or I think I figured out what this combo is, and yeah, it, it's a very I fun really game. love, I love the term that I think one of the developers said, that, like, the game became an unmanageable beard, like, during development, which is just something that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I get that. <laughs> it's just like, it keeps on growing, because it's just like, that, that's what happens, is that game just keeps on growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're right, like, as as you're playing, even though you never, until, you know, the very end at least, like, you never do anything but put things in the in the fireplace. There are those little kind of story hooks that come in to, imp- that imply a bigger world and more things going on, and I think yeah. that keeps you invested as well. You know, it's not just burning things. I mean, like, I, I don't want to get into any kind of spoiler territory, but there were even moments in that game that, yeah, I'm not even going to say anything else because I don't want to ruin it. If you haven't played this game... <laughs> It's ten dollars until like the first week of January sometime. You can check check at NintendoWorldReport.com for the news story on the sales on the eShop to find exactly when. It's like it's out of the third, the fourth, or the seventh that it's five dollars cheaper on the eShop. Um and I highly recommend it. It's fantastic. So Nick, what's your number four game? My number four game, I would have to say I'm gonna put um hmm, Sonic Racing in at number four for the Wii U. Oh, that is a that is a, that was one of my games that challenged the top five, but, but didn't make it. Yeah, well, I was a big fan of the original Sonic All-Stars game, so I was looking forward to this one. Um, I think, overall, it's a way, way better game than the first Sonic Racing. Like, I think it's a way better game than most Mario Kart games. Well, yeah. That, actually, yeah. I might even go on a limb and say that it's, it has by far the best single player I've ever played in a kart racing game. Mm, it's very fun, and the uh, the just the general course design is like very fresh and fun. Like, and, and because all the all the levels kind of progress, where like they transform, mm. um, where you know you'll be racing. Uh, like, I think the the kind of easy one to explain is there's a Panzer Dragoon course, and by the third lap, like a dragon attacked the course, so now you're flying in the air. Um, and it's just crazy how they kind of alter the landscape of every track. And, I mean, it kind of reminds me of a lot of the Mario Kart 7 tracks where it's just like you, it, it's not three laps, it's just like three segments. Mm-hmm. And I always like those tracks a lot more because they were more interesting, and that's what Sonic and Racing Transform does in like every game, or every race. 
Yeah, yeah. And I also like the um the change to like the racing mechanics and stuff. Like it's just a bit more balanced and um in the first game you could, you know, do like a trick to gain speed off jumps and stuff. Um doing having they mapped the like a somersault move to the right stick in this one, but it's like um the timing's more precise, so you can stuff it up a lot more easily now, and you've got to pick your moments to try and get the extra boost off various jumps yeah. and stuff. Like, um, I, Once you sort of get that down, I think that was, like, way more fun. Yeah, I mean, the, the only kind of bummers about the game, I feel, is that, uh, well, most of them were fixed by that patch the other week, because uh, the multiplayer is a lot smoother now, and the single player you can actually totally finish. Um, but other than that, I think the single player is a little too challenging to unlock everything because it's like, it basically demands you like playing it at a hard or expert level to unlock everything, which is, I mean, I guess makes sense, but that game gets damn hard. Yeah, I've only been playing it on medium and like some of the, um, I'm Same here. currently stuck on one of the traffic evading ones with all the green cars and stuff. And the, like, um, that one's just like, I get so close. I've started going back and trying to get three stars on everything because I want to unlock the last couple characters and I'm, they're still out of reach. Yeah. It's, just, it's a damn hard game, but it's very good. So, yes, yeah, Scott, what's your number four? My number four is um, Theater Rhythm Final Fantasy. <laughs> so is mine. Oh, look at that. Well, then we can both talk about yeah. it. This is a game that I knew I would enjoy somewhat because I, you know, Final Fantasy obviously has a great soundtrack and I like rhythm games, but I was really surprised at how much I love this game and how much it dominated a rather a sort of empty summer, I guess, as far as games go, really. I mean, it was kind of kind of like there for a while. Yeah, I mean, there was pretty much like a, I mean, there there wasn't a major 3DS release in June. Yeah. So, I mean, and this came out at the beginning of July, so it was kind of like there was a long drought of like a month and a half without a marquee release, and then Theater Rhythm came out and answered everyone's prayers and made every other game that came out in July look like crap. Yep. Absolutely. And maybe even everything that came out in August. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Theater Rhythm is just, it's, it's an excellent rhythm game, and it's exactly what I like out of rhythm games, because there is that kind of RPG-like progression in the Dark Note mode, but then you also have that opportunity to just play song, familiar songs that you love, and... As proven by some people that I know, like Zach, who I don't even know if he's ever really played a Final Fantasy game before, but it's still a very enjoyable game, even if you don't like Final Fantasy music. Oh, sure. Don't like Final Fantasy. I guess if you didn't like the music, then you wouldn't enjoy it at all. But even if you're not familiar with the music, it's still very enjoyable. And if you're familiar with the music, it just go, it's on a different stratosphere. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would just play Dancing Mad. All the time. Once I unlock that, that's pretty much I would pick up the game and be like, I feel like playing Dancing Mad, because yeah. that song's fun. Yeah, and I was surprised at how much there was to unlock and how much there there was to do. Yeah. Um, and I really did love, was it the Chaos Shrine? Is that what it was called? Yeah, um, the, yeah, with the dark notes. I, y- yeah. I called it a dark shrine or something. Oh, okay, well, whatever it was called, but that was great, because it not only encouraged you to play songs you might not, but it basically made the game kind of fresh every time you played because it would just yeah. pick and pull from each different, like, you know, different game um, to make sort of a, a unique overall track, um, which was great. And that was a lot of fun. And it was so easy. I mean, sort of like we're talking about Little Inferno. It was so easy to just get sucked into just doing one after another after another. Yep. Um, 
the the one complaint that I have about the Dark Notes is that it pulls from such a limited like set list that you know like what are there there's something like forty or fifty songs in the game I think and yeah. the Dark Notes only pull from like twenty. That's true, and that that is unfortunate. Um, yeah, that it doesn't. It would be nice if it included everything, especially the the DLC and stuff. I don't think it includes any of the DLC. No, nope, not at all. Um, which it makes some sense because I think the dark nodes you can share, you know, via Street Pass. Yeah, so they don't want to share, you know, the person. But it made me. Song, I mean, but... after after the newness of the game wore off, I didn't have any interest in DLC because. I was mainly playing the Dark Notes, yep. so what's that, the point? Exactly. That was the main game mode that I went to, and, and you're right. I mean, it kind of, like, stopped me from buying things because I knew they wouldn't show up in there. It's like, okay, I could buy this and play it a few times for fun, get a high score maybe, but after that, yeah, what's the point? So I'd love to see a sequel where they, they use everything and, like, just go all out. I mean, just get a ton of songs in there. I mean, just fill up that 3DS card yeah. as much as you can. I'd actually prefer, like, a different game series or something. But, like, I mean, at least as far as Square Enix, what other game series could you even do? I mean, maybe Dragon Quest, but that doesn't nearly have enough they could, memorable they could songs. Just, they could just open it up to, like, any ser- any game series they have, like uh, Square Enix, um, sort of, you know. Then we could get my uh, Chrono Trigger picks in there. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, some Chrono Trigger. Yeah, Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross stuff would be awesome. I would love to see Nintendo take the theater rhythm approach to, to a Zelda or Mario. Or all their stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, Super Smash Brothers Rhythm. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Someone get a what is it? Did Indie Zero develop Theater Rhythm? I think they did. Get them in touch with Nintendo. Let's make this shit happen. Neil, uh, use you write an editorial for uh, Nintendo Force and get some <laughs> eyes on that, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, um, that is my number four. That is also Scott's. So Nick, what's your number three? My number three, I'm going to put in uh, New Super Mario Brothers U, I think. That's mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got as far as you. I haven't like um, finished the game yet, but so far I've been really impressed with the, just the quality of the level design. Um, I was sort of lukewarm on Super Mario Brothers Wii. Like, I, I found it fun and stuff, but um, this one just sort of really hits the level design like spot on, I think. It's really fun. And really impressive. Yeah, I mean, that game, the first two worlds I don't think are super, super interesting. No, But then there's this moment, and I've talked about it before, I think think on last week's episode, actually. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, where you just get to the moment where the two worlds are there, and you have your choice, and then it just totally opens up from there, and every world from there on out is really innovative, inventive, fun, like, incredible. And that game just keeps on building and building until, you know, the Bowser's Castle area at the end is just fantastic. And, and then the bonus worlds are really cool. I'm still working through getting all the star coins, but, man, that game is awesome. I just finished the um, one of the castles where you're on, like, a, it's like a snaking block stuff that moves around yeah. for the whole level. That was really fun, like... I really enjoyed that level. I think they've done that in other games, but even still... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it just... like, they've done it in other games, but it's still fun. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. I, I love when they kind of do crazy stuff in individual levels. Although I, I, although it's not like New Super Mario Brothers 2 is going to trump this game on my list or anything, but I, I, I need to make a little bit of a defense for that game, because I still thought that was pretty creative and inventive. For as much shit as people give that game, it was a lot of fun. 
and there were a lot of levels that I would that I would play, and I'd be like, wow, I've never seen that in a Mario game before. Yeah. I was tempted to get um, New Super Mario Brothers, New Super Mario Brothers two at one point, but I decided to skip over it to make the Wii U one, Wii U one like, even more fresh. But I might go back. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate because going back after uh, New Super Mario Brothers U is kind of like, well, this is okay, but I just had filet mignon. Yeah, two two's fine though. I mean, especially because we probably won't get a two D Mario for a while. I'd say wait till like the middle of next year, and then just pick up two, and you'll probably have fun with it. But yeah, wait until wait until a lull. Yeah, I'm gonna wait a while. I might even wait till I see a sale or something on it. But um, yeah, going definitely. back to New Super New Super Mario Brothers U for a sec, uh, the challenge mode and stuff was really fun as well. I've had a lot of fun with that so far. The um, you know, the sort of the challenges to collect coins or avoid coins or beat the time trial sort of thing. Have you guys played that yet? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and even the challenge mode is really neat. And I actually played the the two on two team battle and coins. Oh in, good. In the coin mode last week. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Is that similar to the DS multiplayer mode? Sort of, except you you actually play through in, like entire levels. Yeah. Um, it's not like that one where it was just a self-contained level and you collect, like, you know, five stars. This, you play through a level and you try to get more coins than the other team. Um, and then you can, you can mess with them. Like, you can throw shells at them and, you know, sabotage them to try to take their, their coins from them, mm. um, as you're playing along. So it's really It just cool. gets to be pure chaos yeah. after a while. Yeah, it's really, really fun. So, but yeah, that game almost made my list. It was, I, I don't, I don't know why it didn't make my list because I really had a lot of fun with it. I guess it just didn't, I don't. It didn't surprise me because I just knew how good it was going to be. I guess. Yeah. So, but that that game is is excellent, of course. I mean, well, I think what happened with me is that I was really looking forward to that game, and then I played the boost rush mode at a at the Wii U event back in September, and thought that was terrible. Right. I still don't even really like it that much. Like it's novel, but it's not as interesting as I think Nintendo wants it to be. Um, so that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth, so by the time I actually played it, my expectations were a little bit lower, so then it just blew me away. So, Scott, what is your number three? My number three is Resident Evil Revelations. Oh, this is nowhere near my top five. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the list of what came out in 2012, and I just, this game was great. I mean, I, I just spent... Whoops. I just spent a lot of time with this game, um, you know, when it came out, and I just remember so many nights staying up, headphones plugged in, sitting in, in my dark living room while Tabby was sleeping upstairs, and, um, yeah, just, just slapping on that stupid, you know, controller yeah. pro That's... or plus or whatever. And, um. When, when the hell is the XL version of that gonna come out? I really want that. <laughs> I'll buy it too. It's stupid as it is. Um, and, and really enjoying it. Both the single player and the, uh, the multiplayer was actually really good too. And, I mean, I, I'm kind of a sucker for Resident Evil, and Resident Evil 6 is so, so bad. I, I talked about it on one episode of Connectivity, and I never talked about it again, because after that episode, I sold it on eBay for like $50. Um, to <laughs> wow. some poor, poor, Poor stupid person. So yeah, so I basically lost ten dollars. So I basically like had an expensive rental of it and, and played like an hour and a half and just did not like it. Um, but Revelations is so great because it's it's sort of a, a marriage of the new sort of Resident Evil Four style, um, which is the maneuverability and uh, a little bit more action. Um, but it it also stays true to the original Resident Evil. Will there be long stretches where you don't even see any? Um, you know, quote-unquote zombies. They're not zombies in this game. I can't remember what they call them, but sort of weird 
fish zombies. Fish and, zombies. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, uh, the funny thing is that, uh, I forgot, like, cause people were complaining about how they didn't react, but I think it was Resident Evil 6 had the same problem, right? A little bit, yeah. It, they weren't as, as responsive. I mean, in Resident Evil 6, if you shot one in the leg, it would react as if you shot in the leg, but it, it didn't seem as reactive as, as it should, no. And, and that was with Revelations, too. They kind of just soaked up bullets till they died. Um, but that, I don't know, that really wasn't ever an issue for me in Revelations, but, yeah, it was just great. It was a great looking game for the 3DS. And, um, the multiplayer was just a lot of fun. And I spent a lot of nights, uh, getting through that and having a good time. So. I mean, I really, I, like, I enjoyed playing that game, but it just, like, I got to a point in the story mode where it was, like, a really annoying boss, and I beat it, and I was just kind of like, I don't really want to play this anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I think the multiplayer mode is really cool. It's similar to Mercenaries, but, like more novel in a way because it's you know I guess it it ends. That's the thing with mercenaries is that like basically the fail state in that always happens. Whereas in mercen in where in uh, raid mode like there is an ending. Right. And you feel victorious at yeah, the end. Absolutely. Um, and I think the multiplayer mode is really cool and I like the production values of the single player. But the fact that it jumps around between a bunch of characters that I don't give a shit about like the story just kind of lost me to the point where I didn't even really know what was going on. And I wish they just left me in the damn boat for the entire game. <laughs> That's true. It, it does jump around a bit much. I, I think, I guess, in an effort to try to let you play through different environments without yeah. having one single character traveling through all these different environments. Um, but you're right. I mean, it does jump around, and, and there are some uninteresting characters. Um, but I don't know. There's something about it. It was really great, and I think if you tried Resident Evil 6 and didn't like it, as you should if you're a human being with eyes and ears... <laughs> Um, and you didn't play Revelations, you totally should go back and play it. Yeah. Alright, so Nick, what's your number two? Number two, um, I'm gonna say Nintendo Land. That is a, that is a fine, fine game. Now, are you enjoying the single player a lot? Um, I've played some games in the single player, but I've mainly, I've put way more time into it as, as a multiplayer game, uh, cause I've got like friends and that with, they've come around and stuff, and I've basically played like, the, the Mario Chase and the Luigi's Mansion and all that stuff, and it's been pretty fun. I've almost finished the Metroid um, games. Yeah, I, I sort of. I, I finally, I finally coaxed a friend into playing through a bunch of the Metroid levels with me, and holy crap, that game's so much fun! You just need to get the right people to play yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot more. I mean, they even say it in the like, the, the intro thing to that, like this is the most hardcore game in Nintendo Land. Yeah, you really do need to find, like, just one friend or, like, two friends or whatever that can just, um, go through it with yeah. you that are already acquainted with, like, uh, video games and stuff. The Prey boss fight is so cool. It is really cool, yeah. And, um, the Ridley one was sort of easy in comparison, like, I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, it's pretty fun. Yeah, cause that's, uh, I think at this point, in total, it is by far my most played Wii game. I think I'm closing in on like 20 hours or something in that game, with the majority of it being multiplayer. And I think as a multiplayer experience, that game is is tops. And I, I still am looking forward to seeing how much I'm playing that game in like six months, because I think that'll prove the true value of Nintendo Land. Yeah, my friend, um, well, I had like 500 coins for that thing in Nintendo Land, and we just... Yeah, I think I, I think you max out at 500. I need, to, I need to go and play some fucking Pachinko. 
Yeah, Max is out at 500, and we just wasted, like, all 500 within, like, 10 minutes yesterday. Just, like, <laughs> you can just sort of, like, spray, like, a whole bunch of coins across the screen and just win. <laughs> so that's all I yeah, do. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to play the game a lot, then, I mean, the coins don't really mean anything. Just, just blow them. Just finish it off, just as long as you don't hit the skulls that reset everything. It's really cool. Um, Luigi's Mansion have, having two extra levels as well was pretty good surprise. Yeah, I also love the kind of zeitgeist mystery about like t- t- Animal Crossing and, and uh, Mario Chase also have unlockable levels too, but it's looking like they don't at all. I wish they, but I, I wish they did. That they don't. Yeah. Same here. Especially Mario Chase. I think it would like, yeah. Yeah, I do love how the levels scale though, because I was playing with just three people and seeing how the like and and all three of those those uh the, those competitive multiplayer games how it how the levels shrink and it's like you don't even really notice it unless you almost like look at them at the same time because it's a very it's very subtle how they they make them bigger and smaller. Yeah, I almost finished the Captain Falcons game as well. I I literally I I missed the very last boost pad. And I saw the door in front of me coming down, and my nose hit it as oh. the door slammed shut. And I was like, ah, no. All right, so Scott, what's your number two? My number two is Zombie U. I, wow, it's not number one. What the hell is number one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, well, I, okay, I won't, I won't spoil number one. But yeah, don't, don't spoil it yet. I'm just going to be curious. I was expecting that to be number one. Yeah. Zo- Zombie U should, should be my number one, and if... Style-savvy There you have it. Um, and in any other year, it, it it would have been my number one, but there's just one other game that came up that blew me away. But Zombie U is just such a wonderful game. I mean, I don't know what else I can say about it that I haven't said, like, week in and week out for the past month now. Um, but I, I love this game. And all, all I can say is if you are at all a fan of being scared in your video games, then this is a game you have to play. It's got to be the most frightening game I've played. I got I mean, a, a friend of mine. Oh, sorry for cutting you off. No, Neil, it's fine. I mean, now that you're with Nintendo Force, it's just the Neil show. So <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I was I was just gonna say I I had a friend um who he uh, lives in Germany, but he's home for the holidays, and he had never played a Wii U before. So I like showed him the system, showed him Miiverse, and was just like, here, try this game out, and <laughs> put the controller in his hands. Oh god! And watched him play Zombie U, and go from just like. What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on to like learning it and really, really enjoying it? Like he put like an hour and a half into it. I think he got, he was basically, um, he was on his way back from the, the, like the shopping market. Um, and, and then he, he, he died right then. And then we ended up going and we played some multiplayer Nintendo land. Um, but it was just, it was, it, it, to me, it showed off even more of the brilliance of that game of just how it kind of teaches you almost by like teaching you by failure. Like, you die, this is what happens, and you're like, oh, I lost all my shit. Crap. Um, I just thought it was really cool seeing it from someone else's perspective in that way, because, I mean, all of us, we've kind of been following it since it was announced. Right. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, I mean, even following it, there's still some surprises that you don't expect. But, yeah, to see it through fresh eyes, like, not knowing at all what's going to happen and what really sets it apart from other games, that, that's got to be kind of fun and, and unique, but... Yeah, um, I mean, just as far as tense and scary games go, I don't think you're going to find anything better than this. Certainly, obviously, not on the Wii U, probably not on any Nintendo platform, and I'd say it's been a while since a really scary game came out on any platform. Um, yeah. The only, 
you know. Dead Space? Dead, Dead Space, and then there's like, um, uh, what's that, that game came out on PC on Steam. Um, oh, uh, Amnesia. Yeah, Amnesia is, is fairly good too, um, but I, I think this really is just like the Mia Culpa of scary games. Scott, have, yeah. have you played the, uh, any of the multiplayer in Zombie U yet? I it's haven't. It's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. My friend brought it around and showed me for like 40 minutes or so. It's like pretty fun. Um, it's like one person's playing is like a real time, it's like a real time strategy game and the other person's playing a first person shooter. Dropping in like different uh, enemies for them to try and um, kill and uh, you have like it's limited amount of resources that slowly open up as you sort of um, do more stuff in the multiplayer, I guess, in that session. I, I think the, the one thing that I would love to see and I, I, I don't want to speak too soon, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to see a, a Zombie U sequel. Hopefully oh, that's hope not so. called Zombie U 2. Um, <laughs> but if they had the multiplayer where it was like one person on the gamepad and three people playing the first-person shooter, or, or maybe even four and having a be split-screen or something, like, that would be incredible. Because yeah. that's that's the one thing, is that it, it does seem like it's it's very much, like, one versus one, and, okay, there's, like, a capture the flag mode and everything, but it's, like, it, it's very much, like, you're just going against head-to-head, where it's, like, kind of if you threw a few more people into the fray it would make it where, like, that person would have to juggle their resources more and be smarter about it as opposed to just kind of, like, putting every zombie down whenever they can right in front of that person or as close to. Hey, Neil, did you play um, the multiplayer with the Wii Remote, or did you use both use, like, a classic controller or something? I used the Pro Controller. Oh, okay. The, if the Wii Remote controls on that are really, really wonky. I don't know if that was sort of Aww. on purpose or it's just it's really bad. Yeah, I haven't... I haven't... Like, you can sort of adjust to it. I know people always rave about the, the first-person shooter controls on the Wii, but I was never really a huge fan. Um, in Metroid Prime, I think they work really well, but in most first-person shooters, I'm so accustomed to dual sticks that it's it's kind of weird. I, I, I think like this is a game full of ideas that... I don't know if they just ran out of time since it was a launch game or... Oh, or definitely. What, but, but it, they definitely ran out of time. <laughs> there's a lot of great ideas that could easily be expanded upon in a sequel. And I think it's sold well enough that we'll see a sequel. Yeah. And you're right, yeah, and, you can't, it can't unfortunately be called Zombie U2. That, that's a problem a lot of Wii U games are going to quickly run into is that, well, we can't use U2. It should be so called, um, have to... Zombies. <laughs> Zombies. Zombies you, kind of like alien to aliens. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, something like that. I mean, it expanded, you know, even bigger single player, uh, online multiplayer, maybe, maybe a cooperative mode. I mean, just, there's a few things. You, yeah, you there, there are, like, I mean, they, they basically put out this game that is this fantastic, like, almost bare bones version of what this game can be. And, and if they just expand on that and, like, give, give a new story with, you know, some new mechanics and everything. Like, oh man, I, and this is coming from the person who might not ever finish the first <laughs> one. And that really, really excites me. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Number two. So. All right. So my number two is an eShop game, which you guys can probably all guess as I have, uh, not really hidden the fact how much I love this game, but it's mutant muds. Um, came out back in January, one of the first games of this year that I played, and still, like, one of my favorites. Um, I love playing this game, and it's very deliberate that it trumps New Super Mario Bros. U, because with New Super Mario Bros. U, 
like, I beat it, I'm done. With Mutant Muds, like, I've replayed that game two and a half times at this point. Um, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I can't wait for the Wii U, uh, the Wii U version of it. Um, and it's just like a game I can't get enough of. Um, and I can't wait for Mutant Muds 2, and, and as long as it keeps that kind of, like, Gargoyles Quest meets Wario Land Virtual Boy gameplay, like, I'm in. I love both of those games, and I love this game. That's, that's, I don't even really have anything else to say about it. <laughs> I need to put more time into this game. I, I downloaded it, I, I downloaded it not too long ago, and, um, I don't know, it's just kind of slow for me, but I know, it is, I know. It is very slow, but for me, like, that, it's like, that's how it works. Like, sure. I wish, like, it, I wish it moved a little bit faster, but that's probably my only nitpick about it, other than the fact that it gets hard, which is more just like, it is a hard game. Um, and you need to get good at it in order to win it. Yeah, see, that, that, that's where I want to get to is like the hard stuff. Cause right now it's just kind of slow and just sort of like not, not entirely interesting, I guess. But I know that changes as you play yeah. and, and things, you know, the gameplay changes a bit. So. Yeah. I, and I even the, uh, the, the added free DLC, like those levels are, are fantastic. But yeah, that's my number two. So Nick, what's your number one? Okay, I saved this one to number one because it's probably the most lengthy game on the list, and it's The Last Story. I still have not played this game. I've owned it since the day it came out in North America. <laughs> I played it back in February, I think. Um, yeah, that's when it came out in Europe. Yeah. Or and your PAL region. Yes. Um, well, I think I liked the game a lot. I didn't buy Xenoblade because the like the length of it sort of scared me away because I knew I would just sort of get like 15 hours in, just drop it probably. Um, that sounds oddly familiar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I've still got like Blue Dragon and stuff on the 360, so like, sort of around that same mark, you know. Like I've just got all these RPGs that yeah. I won't finish. Um, but the last story, I got all the way through it pretty much, and. Um, it's pace. It's just the pacing's really good, and you can just sort of keep pushing forward. Nothing really gets in your way. Um, you can just sort of keep going through, and everything sort of happens at a, a pretty, pretty good pace. I think you know it's around twenty to twenty-five hours long. So um, it stayed interesting the whole time. Uh, the graphics are really cool, and uh, I know I enjoyed the battle system quite a bit because it was a bit different and. Um, you can sort of run up walls and duck behind cover and stuff like that. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, I've actually been meaning to kind of dive into this game as we do our, our site-wide end-of-the-year stuff, um, just to at least be able to play it. Um, but I'll probably be doing that in the next week or so. But, I, I mean, I was always very... I was more intrigued in this game than Xenoblade when both of those games were being discussed because the idea of that kind of, like, 20-hour RPG experience... With, with a driving story and some interesting battle mechanics seemed more appealing to me than Xenoblade, you know, the 90-plus-hour gargantuan quest that that is. Um, and while, while I, I really, I sincerely adore the, the 15, 20 hours that I put into Xenoblade, and I'll optimistically say that I'll go back and play more of that, because I found that that game was surprisingly easy to just jump back into. Um, but, I mean, with both of those games, they, they both seem like they're fantastic. Um, and I can't wait to dive into, well, obviously I can wait to dive into the last story, considering it has been four months this <laughs> point. Been long enough already. Um, but, uh, I'm excited to dive into it whenever I get the chance. 
Scott, do you have any interest in this game? Yes. I mean, I I love RPGs, so it'll be something I get to at some point. I'll yeah, probably... I think it's like 20 bucks at this point. Yeah, I know it's been on sale and gotten cheaper, so I want to pick it up before it obviously just becomes ultra rare. So uh, I'll probably do that, and then at some point when there's a lull, I'll just play it on the Wii U. Yeah, that's that's my plan. And yeah. we're, hit, we're hitting a lull. So. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's true. I guess it, when we hit a lull is right now, so. Yeah. So what's your number one, Scott? Well, relatedly, my number one is Xenoblade Chronicles. Ah, uh, yeah, right. that's what I figured. I know. See, this one's all, like, it, when I do the actual NWR voting, like, this won't be my number one. Yeah, for, well, I'm... for anyone who um, is curious, and we'll we'll highlight this when we do our uh, our favorite ten games of 2012, which is what we do because we're not the major site where everyone plays everything, so doing a definitive top ten list seems wrong. Um, but Xenoblade is not, does not count for this year because last year when we did it, we were, we kind of made the executive decision that Xenoblade wasn't going to come to North America and we were happily proven wrong, but Xenoblade made our top 10 list last year. So it is, it is therefore, it is not allowed to be in it this year, but we will probably have some kind of special mention because that game's fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it can't officially be my, in my list for NWR, but for my personal list, I mean, it came out in America this year. I played it this year. So for me, it, it has to be number one. It, as yeah. great as Zombie U is, uh, to me, Xenoblade Chronicles like entirely revives a, a genre of game, um, something that's just been so so stagnant. I mean, the the last story, story does sound great. I'm excited to play it. But apart from that, I mean, it's hard to really think of a, a great sort of Japanese role-playing game. That's not on the DS. Right, yeah, sure, because there are some good some good DS ones too. And I would like, also say that like on on DS and I guess PSP and probably Vita and 3DS eventually, you have a lot of those RPGs that kind of harken back to like the Super Nintendo RPGs that everyone loves. Right, like Radiant Historia, which I think is one of like the best games in the past ten years. Like that's basically like a Super Nintendo game that never happened. Um, whereas Xenoblade is an RPG that is wholly, I mean. Maybe not completely wholly new, but it's super, super refined, and it is the future of RPGs. Yeah, totally. And yeah, and I mean that's I absolutely agree with that. I mean that's how I feel about it. I really do think it's it's an extension and a, and a growth of the genre, um, and just fabulous. I mean, I mean throughout the the combat really steals the show, which is great because that's what you do a whole lot of in this game. Yeah, I mean um, I really I really enjoy playing that game. Yeah, it's great. The, the music is absolutely wonderful. Oh man. Oh, I've listened to the soundtrack, yeah. That's pretty nice. It's so good. It's that so was good. ultimately what sold me on the game, was... I think it was... It was... It might have been like a... Some kind of live radio trivia thing mm-hmm. on some sort of telethon, maybe. I know Greg Leahy was there, and they played the Xenoblade music, and I didn't know what what it was from. And then I found out it was from Xenoblade, and I was like, well, shit, I do need to get this game. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that you can spend, like, I mean, if you choose to do all the side quests, you could spend, like, two to three hours straight in one zone doing, yep. the, you know, doing the side quests, and you'll hear the same music over and over. It's the same it track repeating. Old. It never gets old. It's so good. I can't think of any any time where I was, like, felt graded at all by, like, the music, you know? Like, I, like, I found it just, like, too much, and I wanted to switch to something else or turn it down, you know? It was always so, so great. Yeah. Um, and, again, it, it's just so polished, and to just... See what they did with being on such limited hardware. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if I would say inspiring, but it's, 
I don't know. I think they worked well with the limitations that were in place. You know what's going to be really cool? When Monoliths mix an RPG for Wii U, because that's happening HD. as we speak. HD. I know. In Japan, a team at Monolith Soft is making an RPG for Wii U. I know. I, I'm so excited. And I will say, too, one great thing about Xenoblade Chronicles is the story is actually, like, easy to follow and digest. I mean, it gets it gets crazy at the end. I mean, there, there's certain yeah, twists and I've turns. Yeah, i heard about that. But it's not, like, over your head. It's not super, I don't know, like, complicated or convoluted or, like, like trying to be philosophical. Like, it's it's very it's very easy to follow and understand what, what's going on. I mean, I don't really know. I've only heard how it gets crazy, not... Or I guess that it gets crazy, not how it gets crazy. But at least where I am in the game, it's it's very much they do a great job. Um, I still think that like the the three four hours, like the intro to that game, is probably one of like I think that trumps a little Inferno for experience of the year. In all honesty, like I think that intro is so fucking well done. But it just does a very good job of kind of setting the stakes for the game. And it's almost like whatever weird like you know like lore and mythical bullshit that's surrounding like that game. How like you know. You're on two guys that are locked in battle, and now you're on, like, the Bionist leg. Um, and, like, all that kind of weird stuff. Like, it doesn't matter, because they have that very basic story that's guiding you through. And there, it seems like there is a lot of shit on the periphery that, if you really wanted to get into that lore and, you know, read everything in the game, there there's stuff to discover. But to have motivation to go through the game, they do a good job of just kind of being like, this dude is kidnapped. Go save him. It's not like... Um, we need to go get the medallion so that way we can do this and save the bear. Right. It's like, it's very much like, go here, do that, as opposed to, like, loosely do things. And they give you, they give you constant motivation and the music accentuates that too. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. No, I I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, it's just, just a very well-made, thorough game throughout. And, um, I'm very, very happy it came to America, so. There, there will definitely come a time where I go back to that game because that, I mean, well, partially it was because my Wii died that my playthrough was cut short. Yeah. But I was, I was kind of shocked that, like, it was like two or three months later that I went back and played it. And they have, like, the previously on thing that you can bring up. And Mm -hmm. the combat is really, really easy to get back into, which. I know, like, I, I think, like, Chrono Cross is one game that I picked up a save mid, midway through, and I was just like, ho, 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 this ain't fucking happening. <laughs> right. I'm like, yeah, I need to remember what these elements mean. Yep. Totally. Yeah, it's it's very good in that way, and and it does a lot of things to sort of streamline the, the RPG experience, you know, with the, the fact that you can easily just fast-forward the clock to change the time of day, so you can do different quests that only you can do at night or at day, or, you know, there's certain weather patterns, you can fast-forward days to do that, you can easily at any point fast travel from from any landmark to another landmark um which is great and yeah it's it's such a good game i really can't yeah. say enough about it all right so let's uh let's conclude this segment i don't think we're doing that that nintendo year for 2012 just <laughs> yeah put a word out there i don't think that. that's going down today guys uh, sorry to disappoint yeah we'll um, save that for next week but to close this out my number one is kid icarus uprising uh, which oh, of I don't really think is that much surprised anyone. Um, despite the fact that I haven't really played... Well, the last time I played this game was New York Comic Con, where I played some multiplayer. Um, and that was a game that I didn't even have my, my Circle Pad Pro, because I have the XL now. Um, but I just... I love that game. Like, the multiplayer is fantastic. I think the single player is kind of crazy and bonkers and ridiculous. Although I do have to say that some of the later levels upon replay, like, once the, like... 
and now we're fighting aliens wears off. Like that, some of the later stuff does drag on a bit, but just that experience from start to finish, like you think it's gonna end and then it doesn't, and then it doesn't, and you think it's gonna end. Oh no, no, you still have another couple levels left. Um, and I love that because it's not like I was ever really bored during that. I was just kind of blown away that the game kept on going. Um, and the motivation that there is to replay to get these different weapons that then you can use in multiplayer, and multiplayer is so much fun. Um, by far, this is the game that I put the most time in on my 3DS. I think I'm at 50 or 60 hours at this point. Uh, the next closest is like Super Mario 3D Land with like 25, I think. I think, like, it's crazy. Um, I love this game. It's so good. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I You raved about this game, and I tried to so desperately get into it, and it just never, ever grabbed me the way it did, it did for yeah. you. I mean, I, like, I, the controls are weird, but for me, it's like, even playing this with the wrong hand is still worth it to me. Just, I mean, to see what there is. Um, and I, like, even in multiplayer now, I can play it right-handed, and it's still extremely enjoyable. I, I mean, I, I guess at this point, I, I kinda just wanna see, like, some of the lessons that Sakurai might have learned with Kid Icarus Uprising in a new Smash Brothers. Um, because I think that, the, I mean, at least the multiplayer kind of takes that idea of Smash Brothers and makes it a behind-the-back third-person, like, shooter almost. Um, and I'd kind of like to see maybe that will inform the next Smash Brothers game in interesting ways, which I hope to see. So, yeah, I, I guess we can go over some of our non-Tendo games and, yeah, yeah just honorable mentions, any, anything like that. Yeah, that, uh, we, we will do a full-fledged that Nintendo year for 2012. Probably next week, but now we'll just kind of go over some other major games that we enjoyed, whether they be Nintendo systems or not. So, so Nick, do you have any non-Tendo games that really caught your fancy this year? Uh, non-Nintendo games. I wasn't actually expecting that. Uh, I, have, I haven't really uh, thought about it. Sorry to put you on the spot. We can uh, come back to you. Um, if you... That's okay. Uh, I, I guess I played Halo 4, um, Uncharted 2. Um yeah, that's all I can think of right now. I've played some other downloadable <laughs> games. Uh, I played Knights on the uh, Xbox Live Arcade. How was that? that? Was pretty, I, I'm that's just kind of curious. Yeah, it's pretty that, good. But I've never really played that game before. It's I've um, been curious. It's pretty fun. Like once you sort of get used to the game and how it works and everything. Um, one of the complaints I had earlier on when uh, yeah. I first started playing it was that the field of vision is narrow. It sometimes it's at, like you don't really know what's coming next and it's sort of it's sort of annoying. But um once I got over that it's it's pretty nice, pretty fun. And they patched the game controls like a couple of months ago, so it's closer to how it would control on the Sega Saturn because uh when it first came out it was a bit um uh, people were complaining that you couldn't do like a perfect circle. It was a bit more, you know, square shaped. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, Scott, what non-Tendo games did you have? Well, I had two that would have been on my list before I realized we weren't doing non-Tendo games, so I took them off. Um, Diablo 3 gets an, an honorable mention. Um, it, it It's weird how quickly that game kind of just, like, I lost all interest in it. <laughs> I, it just, like, it, one day, it just, it's sort of like how um, with Revelations, I guess, where you just hit that point where you're like, I guess I'm done with this now. Yeah, man, it's not like I didn't enjoy it. Like, I really enjoyed Revelations. It's just that I didn't want to play it anymore. Right, absolutely. Um, but Diablo 3 was this, like, great month-long experience. I, I played a lot with Nate 
um, our managing editor here at Nintendo World Report. We, we put a ton together. And then, I mean, I just, so many nights where I, I was just up way later than I should have been, just constantly playing, thinking, just get through one more room, you just know, get clicking. one, right, one more loot drop, you know, you'll probably get something good. Just keep, keep going a little bit more. And, I mean, to be fair, I did play through the game technically like two and a half times, um, because you, you, you know, you play through once and then you, Unlock the next difficulty. You play through on that, and then you unlock the next difficulty, and then after that, you 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 know, then there's the absolute hardest difficulty. Um, so I I did play through it two and a half times. So it's not like I didn't get my my money's worth, but it was just sort of that third difficulty tier. Things just started to get really difficult to the point where I, I was having a hard time doing it by myself. Um, so then I yeah I just I just hit a wall and just stopped. But I think it's something I'll, I'll go back to eventually. But just total totally great game. I mean, just refines what the Diablo series has, has done all along and really, really great. A lot of fun, especially if you can play with some friends. So, uh, The other game I, I just recently started playing, which I talked about last week, but XCOM, yeah, Enemy Unknown. I mean, this is just my cup of tea. I love strategy games, turn-based strategy games, so I, I'm thoroughly impressed with this game. I probably put like 15 hours in it in the past like week and a half, two weeks, whatever, since I downloaded it. I've just been trying to play it as much as I can, so... uh very, very, very good. So my games that I have, uh, I'll, I'll divide this into two categories. Vita and downloadable titles, because there weren't really anything else that kind of caught my fancy. Um, like, I mean, I, I played games on PS3 and 360, that, like retail games, but they, I, there's just nothing that really grabbed me too much. But on downloadable platforms, uh, I really, really loved NFL Blitz. Um I played it a lot with my friends. I thought the multiplayer in that game was great, and there's just really, really well done strategy in that game. And, I mean, from someone who wasn't really ever that experienced with the original, like, it seems like it's similar but different, so it turned off a lot of the people that like the original. Um, but yeah, that, that game is really, really cool. I'm also a huge fan of the game Awesome Knots, which I'm kind of surprised that more people don't play. Um, for, if you're not familiar with uh, the MOBAs, the multiplayer online battle arenas like your League of Legends and your Dotas and stuff like that, this is a 2D side-scrolling version of that, and it's fucking incredible. Um, it's on XBLA and PSN, and there's also a Steam version that I should probably play more of because they have more characters because they don't have to you know pay forty thousand dollars for the update or whatever. Um, but I've, I've been playing a ton of, like, I, I play with friends a lot where, well, because uh, it's three on three, so you can play with, you know, three people in one system and go online or just play the computer. And uh, we'll usually play the computer a couple times, and once we're kicking the crap out of them, then we'll go online and usually get our asses kicked. <laughs> but it just, it's, it's like the, all, the, all the characters play differently, but there's different ways you can play each character, and it's just really well balanced. They've had a couple balancing patches since it came out that just make it even better. And it, it's just such a fun game, and I, I wish that there were more 2D MOBAs like that. And for, for anyone who's curious, it's developed by Ronimo Games. They made uh, Sword and Soldiers, which was a WiiWare game. They're also the people who made the original prototype for DeBlob. Um, and then they sold it to THQ, and you know probably made a development studio based off of that money that they made off to THQ. <laughs> but then THQ promptly lost and closed the team that developed both DeBlob 1 and 2, and now they're in administration. Um, that's Merry Yay. Christmas, everybody! <laughs> I also really like Tony Hawk's Pro Skater HD. Although, if you were to force me to write a critical review of that game, I'd probably tear it to shreds. 
But I just love Tony Hawk games, and warts and all, I, I put so much time into that game. I would have preferred them on that to just to put out like a, you know, just a, a cleaned up version of one of the old games instead of sort of trying to make it new again. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, if, if they just made Tony Hawk 3 again, I would not complain. Because um, I actually, when I was playing Tony Hawk HD, and I really enjoyed it, but I went back and played Tony Hawk 3 and was just like, wow, this is way better. <laughs> what the hell? Like, I mean, the new game's cool and all, and I'm glad it exists, but, like, couldn't they have just made this game again? Um, and then my last game uh, is far and away, I think, the, the best Vita game out there, by far, and that is Mutant Blobs Attack Tales from Space. It's also on Steam. It's by Drinkbox Studio, who they're also making Guacamelee, which I don't know when it's coming out. I think soon, but it's a... I think it's coming to PS3 and Vita, and maybe Steam later. It's a it's, well, it's a Sony Pub Fun game, so probably not. But Guacamelee is this awesome 2D, like it's a it's a Metroid clone, but you're a luchador. Um, and uh, I played a demo at New York Comic Con in which they even have a Chozo statue that you fight early on. Really? Um, yeah, <laughs> like they have like the little like Metroid chime comes on too. Like I'm glad they had Sony had headphones at their booth for that game while I was playing that the unloved demo stand that was there. But the, the game that these guys actually had that came out in 2012, um, Tales from Space, Meet and Blobs Attack, is kind of like, I guess kind of the best way to say it is that it's like 2D Katamari. Because you're basically, you know, it's a side-scrolling game where you play as a blob, but you, you know, eat food and stuff and solve puzzles, and you grow bigger and bigger, and then naturally the last level you eat the universe. Um but it's it's just really really awesome, and I can't recommend that game enough. So that that's my Nintendo stuff for 2012. I don't know. Best Vita game though is kind of a stretch in the year when you get Persona 4 ported to the Vita. See, I mean, like I haven't played Persona 4 Golden, so maybe. But it's like that that doesn't appeal to me as much because for me, like Mutant Blobs Attack was something that I hadn't really played before. Whereas I played Persona 3. Um, and I guess there's, so. Persona 4 I, is so much better. And I've heard Persona 4 is so much better, but it's like, I'm looking at the game and I'm like, 40 bucks? I don't know. Like, I got Persona 3 for, for 15 bucks on PS2, and then I got it for $5 on Vita. I think I'll just play <laughs> Persona 3 again and wait for that shit to get cheaper. I guess so. You should at some point play Persona 4, though. It's... Oh, no, I, I want to. It's just that I'm not $40 interested in that game, especially when Sony's making every game free on the Vita on PlayStation Plus, pretty much. That's true, yeah. It will it probably will be free very soon. I get, to, I get to play Retro City Rampage for free. Um, I'm excited about that because I was considering getting that game. And then, like, I just, oh, it's free this week? Sweet! <laughs> um, so, yeah. Well, there you go. Yep, yep. So, yeah, I guess we'll be back next week with our That Nintendo Year for 2012, and whoever joins us then, probably Zach, and whoever else will give us their, their top five games of the year. So, um, so Nick, uh, you will probably not be joining us uh, next week. Do you have any parting thoughts for 2012 or, or hopes and dreams for 2013 that you would like to share with us and our audience? Uh, hopes and dreams. Uh, I really want to play BitTrip Runner 2. That is my next game I'm going to get on the eShop most likely uh, when it comes out. Let me tell you, sir, I've been playing the Steam beta. It is fantastic. It's so good. Yeah, really I heard is. you guys talk about it last week, I think. But... Um, yeah, it's. I really love the first game, so really need to get that game. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm very excited. I mean, I can't wait to play that game on, on my Wii U with the TV off. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought I did, but now I don't know what you mean. <laughs> so, I guess that's it. Yeah. Yep. See you guys next week. All right. Bye. 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 Thanks. And that will do it for episode 66 of Connectivity. As always, you can send us listener mail to connectivity at nintendoworldreport.com. Um, if you get a chance to rate and review us on iTunes, that would be awesome. And you should follow us on Twitter. Go to nintendoworldreport.com for the Twitter sidebar on the right side, and you'll find all of our usernames there. Uh, thanks, everyone, for making 2012 a great year for the podcast, and uh, we'll see you guys in 2013. And be sure to stick around now for our Doctor Who bonus segment. What's wrong? There is danger here. An intelligence. An intelligence beyond anything else in this time and place. Dr. Simeon, sir. There's someone demanding to see you. No callers. Not in here, not ever. Did he leave his name? Sir, it's Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. Night office, big globy thing. Now, shut up, don't tell me. I see from your collar stud you have an apple tree and a wife with a limp, am I right? No. You have a wife? No. Bit of a tree, bit of a wife. Some apples? Come on, work with me here. I enjoy the Strand magazine as much as the next man, but I'm perfectly aware that Sherlock Holmes is a fictional character. Get out! Do you have a goldfish named Colin? No. Thought not. Now, oh, I see this is one of your business cards. It says so on the front. Who are you? What are you doing here? This. Wakey, wakey! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the special bonus segment of Connectivity. I am Scott Thompson. Uh, today, I'm joined by David Eagolf. Hello. And special guest, Amanda Albert. Hello. Uh, you've probably heard her mentioned on the podcast a few times, uh, girlfriend of Mike Sklens. Um, he was going to be here to talk Doctor Who with us, and then he was going out of town. So he offered Amanda, who apparently knows a million times more than Mike's Clint's does about Doctor Who anyway. So I think we've gotten an upgrade. Yeah, he tried to make it seem like he was being nice to me. And then I realized, <laughs> oh, this just coincides with the time you're going away. This wasn't you being nice. It's just convenient. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're going to talk about the recent uh, Doctor Who Christmas special, The Snowmen. Uh, we'll talk about that episode, and I guess a little bit of our predictions for where it leads off and what it means for the rest of um, this this season, which I think starts back up in April, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is way too long. Seriously. <laughs> I, I must agree. <laughs> um, but let's just start with just general impressions. What did you guys think about the episode? Uh, Amanda, you can start. Uh, no pressure. Uh, <laughs> I really, really liked it. Uh, anytime they make references to classic Doctor Who makes me happy, and there was a good amount of them in this. Uh, are we allowed to talk about spoilers? I'm assuming Oh, yeah. Kind of... Ab- absolutely. Go all out. Oh, okay. So I love that he screws himself over in the past by showing them the map of the underground so that they can destroy it later. It's just right. perfect. Right. 
Well, actually, Amanda, talk about a little bit of the references to the older stuff, too, for people who might not know, like, probably um, myself. Uh, Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor, uh, had a recurring villain for a little bit that was the Great Intelligence, which okay. the Great Intelligence Institute, when he sees the card in the show, he says, oh, it rings a bell, and he's looking at the card. Yeah. And uh, it's. I think it'll, if we want to get into a little bit of conspiracy theories with it, I mean... I think that uh, Oswin is going to tie into it because in the classic series, the Great Intelligence ended up being a collective intelligence that would reside in bodies, and it could move around. Oh, okay. So uh, it's interesting that this Oswin has showed up twice, and it looks like she's going to show up for at least a third time. I don't know. Maybe they mentioned genius in the Asylum of the Daleks episode, and they needed great intelligence. Maybe it's... Not really her. Maybe it's this great intelligence in her. Who knows? But I like that, and it felt really fun. It was very Tim Burton-y with them going up the steps to the TARDIS. Yeah, I'll say, like, I, I enjoyed, I felt this episode, especially compared to the rest of this season specifically, it was was very whimsical, and I think that's been kind of missing. Like, I, the the first four or five, I think it was five episodes of the of this season, it was very, like, quick-moving, and there was a lot going on, and it was, for the most part, kind of dark. I mean, there's always humor, but it, it didn't feel very lighthearted. And, and this episode did to me, which is great, because I think that's a big part of Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be the fun. Yeah. Um, David, how, how, what did you think about it? Um, I really did quite enjoy the episode. It, I'm, I was never a big Who fan for the old series. I didn't uh, didn't start watching until after the reboot and never got around to watching the old stuff. However, I, I really did enjoy uh the the special. It it kind of felt right that the doctor was done, you know, he he spent time with Amy and Rory and after that whole de- ordeal, you know, he he wanted to be done with it. And then um when Clara, uh, Osmond, uh, was, was answering the questions and she said, Pond, it, you know, it, you could tell that, well, you know, the way that they, they set the scene up, it, you know, the doctor, he realized that, you know, may, maybe there's more to it. And I just thought that it was scripted really well and the, I, I just really thoroughly enjoyed it. I'd... Yeah, and that that was an interesting scene too because it's kind of like establishing the ponds as sort of this doctor's um, rose in a way. Like I got a lot of like feeling of David Tennant and how he always, you know, longed for Rose, and no matter who his companion was. Like any like mention of her, or, like allusion to her, like always affected him. And it seems like that's going to be the same uh, with this doctor and and the ponds. Hopefully, Clara won't be Martha though. Yeah, hopefully not. Although I like Martha, but I do. <laughs> she just—I feel bad for her mostly. She gets I just, the short end of the stick. Clara just doesn't strike me as the type to make pie faces at the doctor. Right. At least. Every time he like thinks of Rose or something. <laughs> right. It yeah. seems like Clara will put him in his place. Well, and it seems like he'll be happy to be put in his place. Like, I was surprised at how quickly this episode, like, just sort of established that there was going to be some kind of possible, like, romantic, like, inclinations between the two of them. Um, 
you know, who knows what that will other ever manifest as, but just the fact that like they're kissing in the episode and he's joking that like he kisses her... every companion. Well, that's, I guess that's true at some point, but I mean, this was like right out of the gate. <laughs> Except for Mickey. Like... Well, yeah, that's true. Never Mickey. <laughs> but still Rory. Yeah, sure. that's true. Pretty sure he kissed uh, Jack Harkness too, didn't he? Yes, he yeah, did. He did. I guess that's true. Yeah, maybe she's not so special after all. But even just like they're sort of like badgering and like when he she made him go up the ladder first, and then you know she was commenting about how she was you know would look up and not look forward and was like checking him out and stuff. It was it was kind of surprising to see, but it, but totally fine. I was I was happy with that. I think she's a great character. I just wonder if River is going to be upset or not, or do they have an open marriage? And see, I was wondering that too. Like that has to come up at some point, right? She'll show up in some episode and and see their relationship and and have some kind of remark for it. And maybe they do. I don't know. I wonder how much River's going to show up now anymore. Now that the the pawns are gone, anyway. Well, if River does show up, will it be before or after she's married to the Doctor? Mm. Huh? That's true. Yeah, I guess I could get around it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never you never know with those two. Um, so one part I have to talk about was the sort of Sherlock crossover, <laughs> which I mean, I, I just absolutely loved. David, do you watch Sherlock? Not the series. Okay. Well, you, you really need to watch Sherlock. And, and once you start watching it, you, like everyone else on the planet will think, why can't Sherlock and Doctor Who be the same show? Like, why can't these two characters be together in some capacity. And I think this this is just such a, a funny way of Stephen Moffat kind of acknowledging fans wanting that and then just totally kind of showing that he'll never do that. <laughs> but I thought it was great. Just the way, I mean, when he busts into Sherlock Holmes, like, it plays the music from Sherlock, the show. And, like, just all the deductions he's trying to make just completely <laughs> wrong. And it was just so, so funny. I, I think I'm going to steal some audio from that part and I'm gonna intro this segment with it because it was just so so the well worst done. the worst deductions ever. <laughs> when he asked the uh, the one guy if he has a, a fish named Colin and he says no, he's I thought not. <laughs> just, just so good. Yeah. So that that really took me by surprise, but I loved that that entire scene. I love also how they Stephen Moffat kinda slips it in there that oh it's very suspicious how Madame Vostra and her uh companion it's just so suspicious how close they are and the strand is basing these stories on them yeah that was pretty funny the whole story would actually be based off those two um which is pretty good did we know they were married before no i didn't think so it was hinted at that they were together yeah but not that they were married yeah it was pretty cool to see them show up again too and then same with strax who i thought was really funny in this episode oh i love i want him to be the new companion (laughs) that would be great uh, yeah, I, I thought the three of them worked really well. I didn't expect them to to be in this. Um, but I thought they they did a really good job supporting the Doctor and trying to get him to be his his old self. I felt like they were his uh, his sober friends. Yeah, basically. Yeah, <laughs> and they're trying to like have an intervention with him. Yeah, <laughs> to bring him back from the ledge. Yeah, they're gonna um, make a banner and confront him. <laughs> I like too that. I guess uh, going back to some of the David Tennant stuff that we are establishing kind of like a crew of characters who can kind of come in and out from episode to episode or season to season. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's something that's been missing with, with the Matt Smith doctor. Um, I mean, obviously through the David Tennant stuff leading up to the David uh, Tennant, his final seasons, you know, finale. 
um, where they all come together to help him. But I thought it was kind of cool that to see these characters return uh, more than just like River, who's been really the only one to return for the most part. Yeah, really, because it almost sometimes feels like they're two different shows. So it's like cool to see Strax come in because he was, you know, involved with 10. So it's like, oh, yeah, that shit did happen. Right. Right, and to kind of tie that all together. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. I was happy with them and, and thought they were handled very well. Um, what did you guys think about the actual villains in this episode? Because so far we've talked about how great some of the auxiliary stuff was. Um, what, what did you think about, oh, God, I can't even think of his name. Uh, was it Dr. Simeon? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Dr. Simeon. Like, what did you think about him and, and the plot with the snowman and everything? I mean... It suited the purpose. It got, it jump started this thing with Clara coming back in. It wasn't mm-hmm. bad, but you know, it's like, uh, it's exactly what you would think a Doctor Who villain would be if you were gonna like do a parody of Doctor Who. Yeah. Snowmen to destroy the world. <laughs> right. The snowmen were pretty creepy though, with the huge like jagged teeth and stuff. I thought oh, they yeah. were kind of, kind of frightening for, you know, what is ostensibly a, a children's show. <laughs> yeah, I thought it looked great, and I always enjoy that twist where Moffat, they'll take something really mundane and figure out just how to make it uncanny enough to be scary. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll be interesting, or it will hold up better if we, if it's not the last we see of this kind of idea of um, these things mimicking life on Earth and the sure. great intelligence. If it comes back, then it will seem more... Uh, Together, if it's just this one-off thing, it feels really random and just thrown in there. Right. I, I I know David when you were on last time and we talked about the finale of the the first half of the season and the the penultimate episode too. We talked about the um that episode uh, where the Doctor basically lives with the ponds and those cubes show up. Mm-hmm. Um, the power of three, and then you yeah. know it just wraps up so quickly with the with the villain that the villain never really posed any kind of threat. It was just sort of like a second, sort of like an afterthought, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I agree with you, Amanda. Like, if it doesn't have bigger implications in in this season as a whole, then I I think it. I don't know. I didn't really find the the villain particularly interesting. Like visually, yeah, the snowmen were very cool, but it never really threatening. Um, although I did like that the Doctor's plan sort of backfired. Mm-hmm. Um, at the very end, when he used the worm to erase Simeon's memory, but then that just meant the consciousness of the snow could inhabit his body. Then, and I like that scene of uh, that shot of. Simeon, like, holding the doctor and, and freezing him, and it does this, like, overhead shot of the doctor on the ground, like, sort of loosely gripping his sonic screwdriver and just sort of, I mean, dying, sort of. Um, I thought that was kind of cool that it established that he does need a companion, that he can't do it all by himself. So I like yeah. that aspect of it. It reminded me again of back to, the, you know, episode one with Rose, where he was going to die had she not swung in there. Yeah, absolutely. Or even, uh, even with Martha, the... Martha's first season when he's drowning the the spider lady and like is kind of losing himself in doing that and then she or not not it wasn't Martha it was uh Donna Donna yeah and then Donna kind of gets him out of there so uh, yeah I thought that was cool but yeah overall I just didn't the villain didn't really do much for me either way uh usually in a season like you know they'll have some little one-off episodes but there's an ongoing theme and I'm just I'm wondering what the heck the theme is supposed to be for this season. Because I don't know where it is. Right, yeah, I agree. Although I think this did a great uh, job of getting you kind of primed and ready for the second half of the season. 
I think oh, like, yeah. the, the last Christmas special didn't really do much of that at all. Um, and it was actually kind of bad. I didn't like the last Christmas special. No? Um, no, it, it was fine, but like, it just, it just, it felt like it didn't go anywhere, and there, I didn't really feel much tension in it. Like, it was just sort of middle of the road for me. Those kids crying about their dead dad, that didn't get you? <laughs> a little bit, but then, like, he comes back, and, you know, it's like, of course, and I don't know, I just felt there wasn't much suspense when they were actually in that, the forest and stuff, like, you just, I don't know. It didn't do much for me, but th- I thought this was a, a wonderful Christmas special. I think the best of Matt Smith's Christmas special. I agree with that, yeah. yeah. It's definitely the best. Anything that they do with Victorian stuff is going to be pretty great. They know what they're doing. Sure. Um, David, what, how did you feel about the, the snowmen villains, or just the, I guess, yeah, the, the snowmen villains? Um, they felt just kind of forced into the episode, kind of like the, as you mentioned earlier, the, the Cube episode. It really would have stood on its own without them. It, you know, it would have been harder to introduce Clara to the Doctor without this, you know, looming threat. But it, they didn't feel very threatening. They're just, you know, snow. Right. And and, I, and the very beginning, we see that scene where he lets the snowman eat all those people who help them collect the snow. And I guess that's to establish that they're deadly. But other than that, we don't really see them do anything. But then, you know, he tells um, the young girl, uh, no, 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 he tells Clara, you know, just imagine the melting. And then they melted. Right. You know, it just, if that's the biggest villain that you've got, then <laughs> it, it just, it... <sighs> no, I agree. I, that that part really wasn't suspenseful, but luckily there was so much other good stuff going on that that didn't really matter. And yeah. I said, it, I said it before last time we talked, but I really think episodes of Doctor Who would be totally fine without, like, a villainous threat. I really think they could do an episode that's just, like, entirely character-driven, and it would work. But I know that that's just, it's not in the DNA of the show. Like, every episode has to have some kind of evil force that the, do- the Doctor is working against. Well, they always have this balance that they have to work out of character development and adventure. And if you're, if you, if they do it the right way, the, the threat moves forward the character development. They're in a situation where they're gonna have to sort out their crap. In order to solve the problem. Right. But if those two things are in harmony, it's just going to feel a little bit off. Yeah. So, they, they, the villains weren't bad, but yeah, I just it definitely took like a backseat to everything else that was going on. Um, I thought the episode opened up like with a lot going on at once. I was kind of happy. I think it, it really slows down once um, Oswin first discovers the, the ladder to the TARDIS and climbs up it. But, like, the first 15 minutes, I, I feel like there was so much going on that I didn't really have a good grasp of, like, what was going on. Um, you know, between we've got the shot of the little kid in the 1800s, like, first finding the snow, and then he's collecting the snow. You don't really know why. The doctor is just randomly walking down the alleyway, and Osmond sees him, and they're talking about the snow. And it was just a lot going on at once. But I thought it did a really good job of kind of slowing down and allowing the this, this story to breathe um, once she found the TARDIS. What did you think of his costume? I liked it. You know, I I, I thought it was uh, it was pretty good. I liked the return of the bow tie once he's sort of in a in a better mood. 
um, and sort of his realization that, that he put it on and then kind of commenting that it is cool and kind of getting in better spirits and stuff. But, oh, that uh, bit cracked me up so yeah, much. Yeah, it was very good when they were talking about how it's getting cool in the room. And he's, it is kind of cool, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bow ties are cool. Yeah, that was that was great. He sort reminds of, me of uh, the way he plays it. You ever watch Adventure Time? Uh, yeah, a little bit. The kid Finn, like, he just seems like a grown-up Finn sometimes to me. Sure. All he cares about is being cool and going on the adventure, and it's pretty much like three tracks of thought for him. Right, like sort of oblivious to what's going on around him. He really is an eight-year-old. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I thought that I thought that was great. But yeah, the new costume is cool. What do you guys think about the, the TARDIS redesign? You only see it for a, a kind of a brief moment when Oswin goes into the TARDIS, but what, I mean, what do you guys think? I kind of miss the old TARDIS, but... I really dig it. It's my favorite of the ones so far. I, really? Yeah, usually, in the past, I mean, I always liked the other ones because they didn't look like what you thought a spaceship would look like on the inside, but I like that this is, it, it actually does look like one on the inside, but it's got, like, still some pretty unique elements, and I like how they have that Galfrayan on there now, and mm-hmm. it's really offsetting that the door's on the other side, though. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I agree, it... it seems like the most serious of the interior designs, and maybe that's to reflect his, you know, recent serious stint where he's been kind of alone and angry. Um, but yeah, it's it's very sort of sterile, and but it, it does look the most, like, appropriate, I guess, for a spaceship. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, it feels like a little bit of 2001, and, and it looks a little bit like some of the old TARDISes, but it's like... I was telling Mike, I felt like it looked like what they would have made the old TARDISes look like back in the day if they knew or had that budget. Sure. But, yeah, I think, it, I think like you said, too, it matches his mood. The yeah. other one felt warm and inviting. It felt, like, cozy, like you're going in a hobbit hole, and this one feels like you're <laughs> going into a doctor's office. <laughs> That's true, which, in a, in a way, I guess you are. Um, yeah. What do you think, David? Any, any thoughts about the redesign? I actually really do like it. It's got that metallic look. Mm. And I'm a sucker for that. Also, <laughs> lots of lights. Yeah. You know, I, I was, the orange slash reddish tint was nice in the old one, but this one's more white and, you know, the, the control panel, there are a few shots, it's organized. Like, the other one was more playful, obviously, but this one, it, I don't know, it, it seems more mechanical. And, and that draws into the, whole what you think a spaceship would look like sure yeah it's very it's very clean it, it's it's very different but it's it's refreshing almost yeah mm-hmm. to see something new sure yeah i'm excited to see some more of it as you know as the episodes go on and we see more interior shots well you know they're doing an episode called journey to the center of the tardis so oh, really yeah that'll be really freaking cool that's awesome. That's not the one directed by Neil Gaiman, is it? No, he's doing the last Cyberman. Oh, that's right. He's doing a Cyberman one, yeah. Because I know, you know, his last episode was the the Doctor's Wife, which oh, was, it was so Tarot, great. So. I you know it was a wonderful episode. So, um, and then Amanda, as a fan of the old stuff, you must have been psyched with the new show intro then. Oh yeah, they brought back the face. The face, and then even like the the TARDIS coming straight to the camera, and the doors opening, like when to go into the episode. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was all very cool. But the the face specifically, I saw that and I was like, oh, wow, they, they went back to it. Yeah, just in time for the 50th. That's super cool. Yeah, I thought that was neat. I like that they're kind of, because uh, it felt like, and, I, and understandably when it came out first in 2005, 
you know, they wanted to distance himself from it and be like, this ain't your granddaddy's Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, now they can kind of acknowledge that they can't embrace certain aspects of it. Right. Well, I think that, I think they've acknowledged that their fan base wants that and their fan base is open to it. I mean, yeah, when you, when you start off fresh like that, they kind of had to do something new because they needed it to be successful. But now I think they know that that fan base loves classic who as much as they love new who. So it, it works. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're nearing the end here, but we need to spend some time with our crazy theories about Oswin. Uh, Amanda, I, I know in the email chain you specifically said she better not be a ghost or you're going to be very mad. Um, yeah. So talk about, I mean, it seems like you probably have theories, so talk a little bit about what you're thinking. I don't have any theories, particularly. I just read dumb theories on Tumblr. Sure. But, uh, I mean, the only thing I was thinking is I try to look for a pattern in the way that Stephen Moffat writes, mm-hmm. and it seems like he screws with you so bad. Like, he'll put the most obvious statements in there that give the whole thing away, but you just weren't listening to it because it was something dumb and it was a throwaway line. So when she just said, I don't believe in ghosts, I was like, damn it, if she ends up being a ghost (laughs) because of this one line, I'm going to flip out. But, uh, no, I, the, the things I've heard are all really far fetched. Like they don't seem plausible. Like one was that, what if she, you do? Do you remember the the face of Bo, and how the face of Bo was pregnant at one point? So there, so the one theory was that she's the child of the face of Bo, mm-hmm. and so oh. you know she bears somewhat of a resemblance to him. She's kind of flirtatious and has the same attitude. She's very brilliant. So that was one thought. One, another one that I, I don't see it being possible at all, but it was uh, that she's the daughter of Rose and the duplicate doctor, and she's come through to the other side. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. I, I so if, I, if anything, knowing Moffat is a fucking ghost. <laughs> yeah, I I know people want to see those ties to the the, the other stuff from Tenet's Doctor, but I just don't see it being either the face of Bo or like or Rose and the Doctor's child. I just. It seems like this Matt Smith Doctor has been very far removed from like what happened with David Tennant. So I, yeah. I, I have a hard time believing that they would they would pull from that. I can see them. They don't do it for anything else. So why would they pull this right. one random time for this huge major plot point? Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. The closest um, the closest I could see is that it would be Jenny, but at this point that doesn't make sense because she would have regenerated or something. Right. Yeah, and it, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's anything like that. I, I had two thoughts. When you mentioned the ghost thing, I did think, like, maybe it's some sort of weird, like, echo through time. Like, there is one true Osmond somewhere, and then, like, somehow, like, she, her consciousness is, like, trapped and, like, repeating in time somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe she is a ghost, like, trapped in time. Um, if, I've just got to say, if she is a ghost, then how is she also a Dalek? You know, you got to think about that whole, the, um... In the Asylum of the Daleks. That's true. She had to... Well, but I don't know. She had a physical form in this episode, so I assume maybe she could somehow be turned into a Dalek still. Or there's that whole thing with the great intelligence. If that's going to come back, I mean, in the old show, that was like a an intelligence that could take bodily forms, like take them over. Mm-hmm. So if that's coming back, maybe she's not even a person to begin with. She's the great intelligence, and she's just choosing this form. 
Right, and that was that was my second thought is that maybe she's something created by something we haven't seen yet that's trying to maybe trap the doctor or like trick him. Like maybe she's been specifically created to allure the doctor. I mean, it's you know, it's a young woman. It, there's a mystery tied to her. I mean, there's a lot going on there that could be maybe used to like try to yeah try to capture him or trick him or or do something. Maybe she's the master. Maybe, maybe that's what my joke was last year, and I'm going to. <laughs> Last year, my campaign was Roy is the master. This year, it's Oswin is the master. <laughs> keep bringing it back. Yeah, every year, somebody's the master. And then, to your your ghost uh, fear, I, I wonder if there could be something to that. Because when she falls, you know, from the cloud of the TARDIS and, and lands, and um, what's her face? I can't think of it. But, uh, you know, uses her little, like, wristwatch to scan for life signals and says there is none. Oh, shit, you're right! And yet, when they bring her back, like, she's still alive. And I know, like, I know, um, Eustrax is using something on her to, like, try to bring her back, but that totally right there could tell you, like, maybe she never was alive, you know? Like, so. There is also, at the very end, that scene in the graveyard where, you know, it's got her tombstone and she's walking right by it. Yeah. So. So as much as you don't want it to be a ghost, it could be something. It could Fucking be something. Moffat. Like <laughs> I guess we'll see. Such an asshole. <laughs> he is, but at least he gave us that awesome Sherlock crossover. So I'll forgive him for everything. Oh yeah, I don't really hate him. I just feel <laughs> like he loves trolling the idiots. He does. He really does. So yeah, I think that brings us to the end. Um, overall, it sounds like all of us were very impressed with uh, this episode. And uh, can't wait for more. So, Amanda, maybe uh, come April, once the show returns, uh, you know, you're welcome to come back and, and talk some more Who. I would love to, yeah, as long we, as you tolerate me. Yes, we will We will do our best. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Amanda, thanks for being here. And, David, you too. Thank you for uh, letting me join. Of course, of course. And uh, if anyone out there has any Who thoughts, feel free to post them in the talkback thread. And, um, yeah, we'll see you guys later.